Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is dedicated to the life and memory of John Reckner, a.k.a. Balls Mahoney. <laughs> yes. All right. But, and, you know, and here's the thing. I was still doing a bunch of sing shows up here. Mm-hmm. So I had to have my final match with Abdul. Then when I go down there, it was just the whole, whole different. Is this the WWE? I'm going to say, I know this music that's in the, the background. Just play big balls for real. I'll it's tell you, terrible. Just we'll get back to your story in a second, but I remember a, a dark match that I saw you in. Uh, probably around 2005, 2006, and when this music hit, I said, this is the best that they can come up with. I, was, <laughs> I had a version in ECW that I shagged. Mm-hmm. I had a band called Speed Saber that did a kick-ass metal yep. version. Yep. They loved it. They wanted to use it, yep. and I had to go get paperwork resigned. Wow. The guy decided, I want money. I'm like, dude, they'll perform it live. They're going to push me. Yeah. All right, to sign the thing and let them use it. You want to make money because you'll get on the album. That's and terrible. I want money now. So that was that. So yeah, I had two great versions. I couldn't get the rights to. And you got this one playing in the background. Well, I'm upper upper class high society. God's gift to ballroom notoriety. Ballroom, the event is never small. The social pages say I've got the biggest balls of all. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles, and listen to the two man power trip. Hey, everybody out there, this is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> ECW World Heavyweight Champion, the ECW. When you want to load down a professional wrestling, come right here to the two man power trip of wrestling. You'll get all the load down. <laughs> Well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by Meowbox. 
Meow Box is a monthly cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And please stay tuned a little bit later on in the show for a special promotion just for the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling, courtesy of our friends over at Meow Box and MeowBox.com. And with that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz. And John, today on the show, we're joined by quite possibly our best friend in the wrestling business, a guy who has a long history with the two-man power trip. And man, going back years and years to a couple uh, fresh-faced young boy two-man power trip of wrestling podcasters. As our man, our friend, just incredible, PJ Polacco, joins the show And it was just so much fun to chat about the big event this coming Saturday on April 16th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. PJ, alongside Shane Douglas, and alongside our other good friend Kevin Thorne, will be at the two-man power trip of wrestling booth at the Icons of Pro Wrestling Fest in Philadelphia at the old ECW Arena, of course. Head over to tmptofwrestling.com for more information about the event this weekend. But PJ joined the show in a very extensive interview that we've kind of been trying to get done for months. It just it hasn't synced up. And if you do recall, if you listen to the archive, we had on PJ for just a couple of minutes last summer at our big outdoor event we did in Seaside Heights, New Jersey, uh, where we actually had on, uh, oddly enough, the late great Balls Mahoney, uh, who unfortunately this uh, episode is now dedicated to, passed away right after we got off our call with PJ. We heard the news, and it's just its so sad that Balls has left us. But it was a great interview that we did with him, and you heard a snippet right off the top. But in referring to Justin and talking about, or PJ, whatever we're going to go back and forth between calling him, we really covered a lot in terms of his whole entire career. But, John, it was just nice to get on and have this long talk that I know you and I, especially you and PJ, have had many times in a car going back and forth to his show uh, over many, many years of friendship. And with that event being at the ECW Arena, some of the recollections of the ECW Arena, now the 2300, previously the new Alhambra, whatever they called it, that arena's got so much history. Philadelphia's got so much history with professional wrestling, but especially when it comes to our boy PJ, a.k.a. Just Incredible. Well, Chad, obviously, you know, we have on Just Incredible today, and we're promoting the 416 Big Collectors Fest show up there at the old arena, the Philadelphia ECW Arena. Now, obviously, Philadelphia is a big-time, huge wrestling town, always kind of has been, and quite frankly, always will be, and a huge part of the lore and the nostalgia of the Philadelphia area and Philadelphia as a wrestling market a lot of that has to do with ECW, and obviously, you know, Paul Heyman created Monster over there. Uh, Todd Gordon obviously played a big role in that as well. But, you know, they created a big monster over there, and the ECW arena specifically is just a hotbed of legendary wrestling shows and all this awesome talent that came through that building. So it's just unbelievable when you think about it in history, all the awesome names that went through that building, all the history that it's seen. And now, we, like we talked with in the interview with Justin, it's refurbished, they redid it, and it doesn't look exactly the same as it used to. Obviously, it's a little bit nicer, but it's still got that history in it, and it's still such an amazing venue. And I love that they took all the time to rebuild the building, make it a little bit bigger, give it a little bit more uh, shine, I guess you can say. You know, a lot of the purists, and uh, Justin just said himself, he liked the old feel of the arena. Yes, it was an old bingo hall. Yes, it kind of was a big pile of crap. But 
it had so much wrestling history and it wasn't about the building it was about what happened within the walls of that building so it's going to be great going back to ECW arena I mean I've been there whew, hundreds of times now for all these uh, shows throughout the years and I absolutely love it and one time years ago I would guesstimate about 14 years ago PJ actually took me to the arena and I guess um, CZW was kind of uh, taken over the building if you will and they um, they didn't treat it as well it was actually in war shape uh, PJ told me after CZW got through with it then when ECW had it because CZW was just uh, you know ultra violent but also apparently ultra messy because they had broken tables all over the place uh, Zandig was walking around uh, with just a towel on if I remember uh, that correctly it was very very funny to see that but you know as we're going through the building and, and the history of it I'm like man this place is a huge dump yet you kind of get the um, you know, the goosebumps walking around the building saying, oh, this happened here, look what happened here. But it was awesome that PJ, uh, you know, kind of went out of his way. We got there to the building extra early and gave me a tour. So that was really cool. And, uh, you know, the mark in me was liking it because it's, you know, quite a quite a historic building. But it's going to be big time, great show this Saturday at the ECW Arena with the Collector's Fest and, of course, with House of Hardcore that night. I touched on it before, and that is that long-standing relationship that the show has with PJ, and more so you, John, with PJ, and the fact that you know we look back at the time that we've known him and you've known him, and you think about the indie shows and the promotions that are so long gone, and it's kind of funny to see that PJ's really, uh, he's one of those guys that you can still tap into that was a part of the old school. I mean, when he broke in in 92, he was still up at the heart family training facility whatever it was uh by the time he got up there uh, who was ever in charge um and whatever iteration that the Hart family name was being used for the training but he's a part of that old school landscape that you know you think about it he's only in his early 40s he just retired a few months back he seemingly has a lot to offer and he really is probably the smartest guy i think that we've ever had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with about psychology and about how to work a match and about how you really lose a lot of stuff when you don't focus on little things inside of the actual match and it's one thing I love about talking to PJ is he's got so much to offer still to the business at such a young age, even though he's done actively, you know, just the stories and the time spent with him, it's timeless for us. And I know it's something that you and I both hold very dearly, but you specifically, I mean, you can't deny some of the times you spent with him are just absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, you know what, it's no secret the history, you know, that, that I have with PJ, that you have with PJ. And, you know, I, like we talked about in the interview a few times, you know, I've been friends with him for you know, ooh, a while, maybe 15 years now. I mean, it's been a long time, and he's such a great guy. He's such a nice guy, and he's just so humble. And, and that's just one thing that uh, I talked to Raven about it. I talked to Dreamer about it at one point. He's saying, man, this guy, he's so humble. He never knew how great he was, and, and if he did, he would never, you know, let, let it on. So I feel like a totally underrated wrestler. And I've talked to PJ about this numerous times. Go back to when he was the champ. Go back to his prime in ECW. It's just incredible. The 98, 99, 2000. He was easily top 10 worker in the world. And I don't know if he will, you know, quite frankly admit that or not. But he without a doubt definitely was. And I think that uh, if, 
you look back and you watch the matches and you try to relive the history there, I believe that the history will hold up with what I'm saying. He's definitely one of the best workers in the world at that point, and he was just on an unbelievable roll, and he had so many great matches. And we go over a lot of the great stuff from the ECW. I mean, we talk about his matches with Sabu, and he's got some great funny stories about having a job to Sabu, all those times for Sabu just to put him over once, uh, talking about some great stuff with RVD, obviously the legendary and iconic awesome feud that he had with Jerry Lynn, so we talk about it all, and it's just it's an amazing interview, and when you look back upon JC, Justin Credible's career, I just can't help but say he's definitely an underrated legend and a forgotten member of the clique. Ah, uh, yes, a forgotten member of the clique, and that's a perfect transition for where I wanted to go next. Almost like you could read my mind there at prime time. But it is one of the things that I think gets really overshadowed when you think about PJ's career, and that is the time he spent alongside the members of the clique. And thus, us dubbing him and other people have dubbed him the forgotten member of said clique. Because those guys all came in at the same time, and he has really got some great stories about Scott Hall. And that was one of the things that when we first met him, I just loved hearing the stories about Scott Hall. And Scott Hall really wanting to take him underneath his you know, proverbial wings to just get him you know, to know the business and know what it's like. You know, from a a veteran's perspective, and obviously some of the extracurriculars do come into play, but uh, I'll let PJ share some of those stories. But one of the cool things that I really love that he said is about his relationship with Sean Waltman and that basically they were kind of vying for that same spot in the clique, that they were both the younger guys uh, in the group at that point, and that, I mean, you know, kind of went to uh, Sean there at the end, but... Still, nonetheless, just a great story, and also his relationship with Shawn Michaels. Uh, stories that, you know, they're just they're so amazing that we forget that he was a part of this group in, in some way, shape, and form, and that his relationship even with Shawn Michaels, when everybody had left WC, for WCW, that it was just Shawn, it was Triple H, and it was still uh, PJ left on the roster, and the absolutely infamous Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels pull-apart fight is referenced, and what an amazing story. But, John, the click is one of our favorite topics of all time. No hidden secrets here. We do love the click. We love Hall and Nash. We love X-Pac, Shawn Waltman, and uh, it's great to uh, chat about the click, especially with PJ, because it's like uh, he's our own inside man inside the click. Yeah, exactly, Chad. I mean, that's kind of where I was leaving you off to for a little bit there. I wanted you to talk about the click, and obviously, you know, you did, and that was a big part of wrestling history, especially in WWF. But it's funny, everyone always talks about the click. They talk about Hall, they talk about Nash, they talk about HBK, Shawn Michaels, they talk about Triple H, they talk about X Pac, Shawn Waltman, but they always forget about the forgotten member of the click, Just Incredible. And it's interesting that if you ask Hall, and he said this in interviews, that PJ was definitely in the click. You ask uh, X-Pac, he'll tell you he was. So it's very interesting at that point in time that he kind of gets forgotten. And he laughs it off. We do have a great couple stories about the click in the interview, and we talk about it you know, quite extensively. But it's very interesting to really sit there and think about it, that he is totally forgotten and, and not really member, you know, mentioned as a member of the click. And they had the DVD, the click DVD that WWF released a little bit ago last year. And it kind of wasn't mentioned as much as I thought it was as well. It was kind of swept under the rug. So we do get a lot of great click stories 
from the man himself who was there and actually in the click, whether people realize it or not. So that, that was some great, great stuff. And I really enjoyed, obviously, the ECW stuff, but I really enjoyed his uh, stories about possibly jumping ship to WCW as well. Yeah, the jumping ship to WCW stuff is cool. I mean, the ECW stuff is obviously, if you're an ECW fan, I mean, he's an essential guy to that original ECW. And then, of course, I mean, I love the stuff about the new generation. And we don't really specifically talk about Aldo Montoya, the character. But, you know, I mean, come on. He talks about the actual touring schedule of the new generation and how grueling it was at that point and the comparisons to today's WWE as both being considered dark periods for the company where, you know, I kind of made the point that uh, they would kind of kill for the ratings that they got back in the dark period in the mid-90s, which is uh, crazy to say because that was indeed a low point uh, when you think about television ratings, you think about uh, how it was a few years prior to that, that, you know, it's kind of everybody was jumping off ship and going other places. Now, WWE is the only game in town, and there's really, uh, I don't know, there's really nothing you can say about it. It just uh, doesn't seem to be uh, getting out of its own way. But, John, with that being said, we really look forward to seeing people this weekend at the Icons of Wrestling Collector Fest in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Come out and see PJ. Come out and see Kevin Thorne. Come out and see Shane Douglas. And really enjoy the weekend. It's going to be an awesome day. Shawn Michaels is going to be there. We've already referenced him a couple of times. Kurt Angle is going to be there. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Booker T, Stan Hansen, so many guys. Tito Santana, Mr. Wonderful. So many two-man power trip of wrestling guys will be in the building, and it's going to be an awesome day. But every single one of these guys, and everybody knows that our guest today was not just the coolest and not just the best. He was just incredible. And we really thank PJ for coming on and really getting this out of the way because we've been trying to get it done for months. But with all that being said, John, before you hit him with some two-man power trip of wrestling business, let's tell him a little bit about Meowbox. And let's tell him about how Meowbox is back. And with the code POWERTRIP10, you're going to save 10% off your first monthly box subscription. And I know they love being back and we love having them back. But, John, tell them a little bit more about Meowbox and get them on over to the man himself, just incredible. Yes, Meow Box, baby. They are the best. They have a, a little service called One Box Can, where every Meow Box purchase will get you a can of food donated to a shelter cat on your behalf. So that is excellent. Also, remember, all edible items are made in the USA or Canada, so you know where your edible items are coming from. Now, if you have a picky cat like mine, Lucy, who uh, has a bit of a special diet, you can replace your edible items with toys and surprises, which little Lucy absolutely loves, and that is great of Meowbox. So just remember, folks, that is Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Again, Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Now, for some TMPT business, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Rasslin' Palin, at Two Man Power Trip. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Also, check out the feed for prior great episodes featuring the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Stan the Lariat Henson, Dale the Patriot Wilkes, Matt Morgan, Homicide, and so, so, so many more. So please check that out. Also, you can check us out on Player FM, the I-95 Sports Network, and the Top Rope Press Radio Network on TopRopePress.com. 
Also, please check out our Pro Wrestling Tea Store. It is new and it is awesome. So check out the TMPT, Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling page on ProWrestlingTees.com and order one of our shirts today. Also, wire over there. Scroll over to the Kevin Thorne page where you can become a member of the Bite Club. And speaking of Kevin Thorne, if you're looking to book Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, a.k.a. Kevin Fertig, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. And now, without any further ado, the former eight-time WWE Hardcore Champion, a former two-time ECW Tag Team Champion, and a former ECW World Heavyweight Champion. He's not just the coolest. He's not just the best. He's just incredible. Please enjoy. Last summer in uh, Seaside Heights, New Jersey, we had him on for a little while to talk a little pro wrestling 101 and different psychology involved with the wrestling business. And I like to say he's a man who needs no introduction, but what the hell, he's a former ECW heavyweight champion. He's a former WWE superstar. You know him as not just the coolest and not just the best. He is just incredible. And thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. I think that John, I think you guys, you guys are awesome. Nothing amazing to me. I've known John for many years. He's a old friend, and uh, you guys, I love what you guys are doing. So, uh, you know, I'm proud to be associated with you guys. Well, that's uh, that's excellent because I, I mean, I shudder to think how many episodes we've referenced you. Uh, you know, being under the learning tree and, and, and definitely, uh, you know, reminiscing over some great times and bringing up a lot of your great matches. And we only had John for like 15 minutes last summer, and it was a you know it was an interesting day to say the least. But that's a uh, that's sure, a different sure. I, I remember I, re- I, rem- I remember the day exactly. I remember where we were. Uh, Jake was there, I believe. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it was a beautiful day on the beach. You know, smoking cigarettes on the patio every couple of minutes. <laughs> it was a, <laughs> it was a fun time. We had a nice time. It was fun, and actually, what I think is funny. So when you think about when we had John, so that was last June. And you were about five months away from calling it quits in terms of an in-ring career. And uh, yeah. it ended in November this past year in 2015 at a, at a great show. Uh, I unfortunately couldn't make in, uh, in I believe, in Rahway for PWS. But looking back about six months later, what are, your, uh, what are your thoughts? I know there was a little talk that maybe you came out of retirement uh, recently, but I know it was kind of an impromptu brawl. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, Post-in-ring wrestling life. It sucks, quite frankly. Um, I, yeah, you know, when once you have that wrestling uh, bug in you, it's real hard to get away. 
Um, that's what I do, man. Um, you got to understand, since I was out of high school, I was a professional wrestler. Um, my, you know, I graduated high school, uh, 17 years old at eight, you know, I worked, uh, at a stop and shop as like a bag boy <laughs> for like a year, saved up enough money to go to Calgary to train with the hearts. And, uh, had my first match, uh, ironically enough on my birthday, October 16th, 1992 was my uh, first deal. You know, and my second ever match was against uh, Chris Jericho, which is very funny. <laughs> oh, wow. So, you know, yeah, yeah. I worked with Lance up there a couple of times with Chris. You know, we were all just young. And um, back then, there was still a little territory where they ran weekly um, in Calgary. You know, small crowds, you know, like indie crowds. But uh, still, you know, you you got to wrestle world-class guys, um, you know, guys who'd been in Japan and, and so forth, and it was just a, you know, just a great, you know, the kids today don't have a chance, man. Uh, it, it's so sad. The the gimmick I did this past weekend, where basically I was at the, and that was the the angle, anyways. I was at the gimmick table, uh, just you know, doing selling gimmicks, and uh, you know, somebody called me out from the ring, and it was a tag. So basically, all I did was, you know went in, did my Terry Funk impersonation through um, a ton of chairs in the ring <laughs> and uh, kind of like, you know, you want to go, let's go. And, uh, you know, started hot. And then basically the kid did the match and I came in and did the finish. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't a match, but, uh, cause I really, they, you know, it was, I don't, I don't, you know, sometimes in this business you make deals and, yeah, you it's amazing how much you, you know, because it's so in the back of your mind to the big picture, especially with, you know, my wife, I don't know how many people know she's dealing with cancer and it's really, it's really getting serious. So it's like the last thing on my mind is something, you know, so like, I don't know what kind of deal I made with him. So like he expected me like in gear and I'm like, dude, I'm retired. You know, I mean, I'll do, I'll, you know, throw a super kick and hit some people with a stick, but. That's pretty much, and that's pretty much what happened. So uh, no, I, I didn't. You know, I didn't come out of retirement. Uh, it sucks uh, being retired. Uh, but I, the reason I did the whole retirement thing, uh, quite frankly, was a to get a little bit of publicity and press. I'm not gonna lie. Um, and also, too, at 42, I need to move on. And John knows my story very well. Um, he's known me for years. And uh, I live in Connecticut now, uh, and we're moving after the school year from, you know, obviously my kids, you know, to not, you know, leave school in the, you know, mid-year. But I plan on moving to New Jersey, so we have a lot of transition, but I really plan on, unfortunately, there's no future in pro wrestling. Uh, Not to put a negative take on the business, but, uh, you know, TNA is TNA. They're letting people go. They're not paying anybody. And the few people that are getting paid are the very top people. And other than that, you're getting 500 bucks a show once in a while, which to me, you know, I don't know. Can we swear on the show? Go right ahead. Are we allowed to? I'll piss on $500. Not like that, but you know what? Fuck you. I ain't, I ain't working for TNA for $500. Uh, 
Um, so, you know, it, it's what it is. And uh, Ring of Honor is Ring of Honor. I've had this talk with Wade Keller, who I'm very good friends with, uh, Steve Austin when I was on his podcast, talked with him about this, and Jason Powell from uh, ProWrestling.net as well. Look, man, you know, Ring of Honor is a cool little gimmick. But Jim Ross also, uh, and he said it to me best, great talent, great young kids. They'll never make it. Their bodies won't last. They don't sell. And, you know, because you're doing so much shit that you're you're setting the bar so high. And and you're talking to somebody that came from ECW now, okay? Uh, You're talking about, you know, I've done hardcore. I've done uh, matches like, you know, with RVD, Jerry Lynn. So I've just not just hit people with stuff. I, I could wrestle. But these guys are doing these phenomenal moves and stuff that really hurts. It's not a work, a lot of it. And they're just not selling. They're popping up like it's no big deal. So you know what? How do you expect... You know, what are you going to, if, if if it doesn't matter to you, if you do something so spectacular and you don't sell it, you're really taken away from yourself because you're, you know, I, I, you do something, you know, like you're powerbombing someone on the guardrail or whatever the crazy shit they do. And then what, you're going to fucking take a pinfall on a super kick or something stupid? You know, it's like I, you have to really... The business has gotten to the point where young guys, it's not their fault. See, uh, me and Pac, uh, X-Pac, we've talked about this quite a bit. We were the last of that breed where it was like old school into new school, where we were, you know, he was like in global back in Texas in the early 90s. Um, you know, we did some Minneapolis stuff. I did the Calgary stuff. I went to Memphis, did the USWA, Jerry Lawler stuff, where you're really learning from veterans and you're getting, you know, you know what I mean, that education as a young guy. These young kids, all they're doing is they're going to their local wrestling schools, working their match with their buddies, and they're having that same match every week on you know, little indie shows, and it's like their WrestleMania match. You know, they'll do it all. And that's not, to me, that's not learning. You know, I'd be so nervous. I'd be like, you know, I'd work with Lawler a lot, you know, and he was, he is the king in Memphis, dude. Like everybody, Jerry Lawler is a big celebrity there, you know, and all of Tennessee, quite frankly. And I'd be like, Jerry, what are we doing? You know, I'd be nervous. You know, I want to do good. Just listen, you know. I'll, I'll hit you with the fist drop or whatever. You know, that's the finish. Don't worry about anything else. And you'd go out there and you would listen. And he would almost do things. Like, he would put himself in holds for me. <laughs> you know, like I'd have him in, you know, I'd, I, you know, he'd have me in a headlock and he would reverse it into a, you know, into an arm ring. You know, uh, well, I don't even know what you call it, but like an arm thing behind your back without me even doing it. He did it himself, you know, and I, he just did that, but that's where you learn. And then one time I, and I never realized it. Um, I had him on the top, you know, the, you know, he's in the corner. I'm on the second rope doing the, the 10 punches gimmick. And I'm feeling a sting coming from my side. I'm like, what the, you know, like, what the fuck? He was, that's every time I hit him. 
that's where he was getting the noise for the shot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Hitting my side. You know? So yeah, but those are same thing. Like I'd be kicking him in the corner, he'd be slapping my boot. Little thing. Yeah, things that these kids will never know, will never learn. And it's sad because our business is decaying. I love what they're doing with NXT, but even with as good as NXT is, and I love the direction and the guys that they're bringing in and so forth. I, uh, you know, Hunter has done a great job with it, but to me, still, it's not the business. Everything is so rehearsed, is so choreographed. Um, you know, the last time I was like in WWE when it was, you know, the fake ECW, it was horrible. Like Vince would literally be out there, like make you walk through your match. It's like, I don't know how many times you're going to punch him, three or four. I don't know. It might be one or two. I don't know. I listen to you as a, as an artist, it's no different than music. And I'm a musician as well. I'm not very good, but I'm a musician. Uh, and like an actor, you know, like the good actors, like the De Niro's, the Pacino's, a lot of it's improv, man. A lot of it, you're just, you've got to be in that moment. And when I switch, that switch goes on and I turn into just incredible. And it's, it's the weirdest thing because I'm John knows I'm the chillest, coolest dude, like very, you know, okay. Late, you know, that music comes on. I, I put that water over my head. I, you know, spit it out, come out through that curtain, that music hits. I'm a different cat. And not that it doesn't mean I'm aggressive or going to hurt somebody, but I turn that switch into that mode of let's try to make this real. And if this was real, like UFC, for example, if this was real, how would we really do it? Not some fake ass Let's do 50 high spots, get up from all of them, not sell anything. Because believe me, dude, if you've been in a real fight, you get punched in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? It's, it's not that easy. And that's the first thing. It's like everybody talks shit and everybody thinks they're tough until they get punched in the face. And then the whole thing changes. And I always try to take that like Terry Funk. He taught me so many lessons. Um, and I'll tell you, he walks around backstage like Yoda, like an old man, <laughs> you know, like, you know, you almost, you know, see him with the cloak and the little cane. But when he goes through that curtain, he's Terry fucking funk. And I'll tell you, that son of a bitch at his age will hit you as hard as he fucking can. And I don't mean that, like, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, guys should be stiff. I don't, you know, but. He's doing business. He's Terry Funk. He's protecting his legacy. And these kids just never get those experiences, those little things, those nuggets of our business is on a steady decline. And unfortunately, Vince is going to get what he always wanted, which was to take over completely. And it's kind of where it's at, you know. And I don't mind the product. I think there's very positive things, you know. But I, I can't, I, I mean, I've, I got the network for WrestleMania, you know, cause I don't always subscribe. I let it go sometimes cause I really don't care um, that much uh, about watching their product. Uh, but I always watch mania, you know, everybody does, I think in our business. And uh, I didn't want, I couldn't, I still, I haven't gone through it. 
didn't I thought it was the worst WrestleMania in years. You know, and I like Dean Ambrose. Uh, I don't I don't mind Roman Reigns. I thought the job he did with Brock last year was great, but he just doesn't do it for me. Um, a lot of guys aren't doing it for me. I don't know. I mean, there's just something about Dean Ambrose and Brock Lesnar that didn't add up for me. It's just not believable. Because if you saw that in a fucking bar, Brock would eat him alive and still want seconds. You know what I mean? Like, he's oh, yeah. just such an intimidating man. And then, you know, Dean's crazy, and he's a good worker, and I, I respect and admire his stuff, even from back in the day, because he's from up in our area, you know. But just to me, I couldn't, you know. And, the, you know, the stick shots and stuff. It's like, dude, you you guys are you're hitting yourselves in the back. It stings and it hurts. and it, But, like, you're abusing the king. Because, like, if you use it one or, once or twice, like, out of nowhere, it gets so much more reaction, especially a headshot. And they're so worried about concussions now, you know. And I am, too. I mean, I've had over 13 concussions. But it's, to me, it's it's almost hypocritical because the bumps you're taking are worse than any fucking headshot. I'd rather take 10 cane shots to the head than take one of those fucking power bombs from Kevin Owens. Or whatever his name is, Kevin Steen, Owens, whatever, you know, because that shit hurts. Those rings aren't—they're pretty fucking hard up there. They still are. In the early days, in the '90s, they were; those were the old like '88 rings, like when Andre was around, and they reinforced them because if you guys remember back then, they were all big dudes. Like everybody was 300 pounds. So when the little guys came in, guys like me and Kid and even Owen and Brett, man, you hit that thing, it was no different than going to your, you know, deck. If you have a wooden deck, taking a bump. It hurt. And then you know, they'd also run you in these cold-ass Canadian towns in the middle of winter, in the middle of nowhere, and you'd literally have space heaters, like those little heaters in the locker rooms because there was no heat. You know, and those rings were so cold and so stiff. And then I'd work with some fucking jabroni like man. Remember Mantar? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I worked with him every night in every cold ass Canadian ice hockey rink in front of a couple of thousand people tops because business was real bad then. You know, like you'd still do, you weren't even selling out the garden when you went to the garden. It's not like, you know, today. But, uh, you know, business was bad, man. You know, they were running two towns. The talent was thin. It's when Kev, I mean, you know, disrespect to Kev, but that's when Kev was champ. And, you know, I was working with guys like Mantar, and he was horrible and just stiff and the fuck out of you, man. And he was so big, and those rings were so stiff. And, like, every night, it's like, really, dude? You know, I'm all over the place right now. It's late at night. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you something. I mean, you literally, you hit a couple, like, a couple key things that I really wanted to touch on. And one of them, I'm just going to, it's going to encompass a few things here. We watched you literally, you said you started in 92. Well, we literally have been watching you since 93 on, on television. We watched you progress through the ranks to the WWF and different characters, different gimmicks, through ECW, back to WWF. Through TNA, through Ring, we've seen you do everything. But what you just said is where I kind of want to go next. 
And that is that time frame of that mid-'90s, that 95, 96, where you couldn't even sell out the garden. They sure. would probably kill for the ratings that you guys were getting then when, quote, business was down. What are the comparisons, yeah. though, you would think, to business then versus business now, where now it's this huge global platform, but they can't draw, you know, half the TV viewers that one of the uh, average syndication shows did back in the day? Well, I, I think a lot of it is uh, overexposure. Um, you know, I think uh, the Internet age, uh, being able to go on YouTube or on the network uh, anytime you want, watch anything you want. And then you also got uh, three hours to fill, which I know they do it for obviously advertising dollars. They don't do it for creative reasons. Um, in my opinion, you got a thin roster. Uh, a lot of the superstars, and see, that's the problem, is it's hard to make superstars today. It's like, you know, the Undertakers, the Shawn Michaels, the AAA, you know, the guys that were in that era still mean more than any guy on that roster. And I, I don't know why, but other than Brock, who kind of was a new school cat, uh, newer than those guys that weren't through the Attitude Era or before even, um, really have come through. A lot of them are they're just not legit. You know, I don't know how to explain. I think it's just fans remember, and there's not much to remember about. You know, I. it's amazing that I've had 23 years of in-ring career, and I am still more noted for my three years in ECW than anything else I have ever done. I have done WrestleMania. Wrestled in front of 67,000 people in Houston. Did a lot of shit. But those three years to this day is what I'm more noted for. And I think it just, it's those little things. I it just, there's no, they're not, they, I don't know, man. The, the, the time ain't right. They're not making the right moves. It's hard to make stars. It's almost like everything is too contrived you know like a guy like Roman Reigns I think he's a stud he's a Roman Reigns is a good looking young man um you know he's jacked up and he can work he, he, you know all those Samoan boys can work you know and he had a hell of a match with Brockett Mania um just you know Vince just has that it's almost a stubbornness and an inability to listen to the people and, you know, Steve Austin, and if you, I, I tell you, if, if anybody out there is listening and want, wants a real good lesson on what I'm talking about, um, go to Austin's podcast and hit up my, the, the one I had with him. And he talks personally about how he and uh, kind of how Stone Cold was born from being the ringmaster. Because back then, uh, there was a live show. And then two taped shows because the budget was really low back then. So Steve got, you know, it was live, you know, and he knew when he was taped, he would get cut out, like the stuff would get cut, you know, and they'd produce it how they wanted. But one time he got live with me, you know, just live TV, whatever. It was all the work, of course, but he just opened up and started, you know, jockstrap and doing that whole you know being steve 
but that would have been cut out, you know, Vince and, and it allowed, it gave him the freedom to be who he wanted to be. And I think sometimes WWE tries to produce people so hard that they don't give them the real opera. Steve Austin would have been, I tell you, and he gives me credit that I don't deserve. He's not giving me credit. I was just, you know, fodder for his character in a way. But that moment is when Stone Cold was born. And he admits it. He says it. Like, I mean, you go right to his podcast, man. Podcast one, Steve Austin show. <laughs> you know, he said it. And it's true. I think they contrive too much. They don't let you experiment. Everything is too rehearsed. Everything is too scripted to, like I said, to the point where, you know, I had my best matches, for example, when I went out there and I just said, what are we doing? Well, what's who, who's going over? All right, PJ, you're going over tonight. What's the finish? Uh, tombstone. Okay. How are we got in there? Let's just do it. Okay. You go out there, but because then you're allowed to be, Try to be a character. Be yourself. Interact with what the fans are saying because, you know, what I might do in Philly, I could do the exact same match in Queens or in Buffalo where we used to always go, and the reactions would be different in all three towns. So the same stuff doesn't work in the same buildings. Every fan is different. But without being able to call that audible, you're really kind of going out there and just shoveling shit down their throats, whether they're liking it or not, you know, because believe me, there's a lot of matches where, you know, I've, I, you know, I, they just didn't buy what we were doing. And if you don't have that ability to change it up, then you're really going to have a bad, you know, the reaction's going to be poor. The in-ring action may be just fine. But that's the difference between getting over and not getting over. Because sometimes, man, it's one look. Like, I remember working with Shane Douglas, and we had a feud for a couple of months. Half the stuff we did was impromptu. And he would just give you that look, like, you son of a bitch. Like, you know, because I was calling him an old man, like, it was my time. And he gave me this look and like, you know, come on, motherfucker. Like, you know, and I'm like, you know, and it's like, it gives you that energy to really, you know, like, and you're pulling energy. Like it feels real, even though we're not stiffing each other or we're working with each other, but that emotion is raw and you can't have that with, uh, okay, uh, I'm going to bring you to the, they literally these days will tell you, well, got to go to this side of the ring hard cam side and I'll shoot you off into this corner not the other corner god forbid you know you just work naturally so I think that's a huge problem in our business and and these kids will never know anything else and the thing is every indie promoter out there is doing the same thing and following suit trying to be you know a mini WWE because they feel that's what fans want and that's what fans are accustomed to. And it's really killing what the business was. Not even, it's that already. But the old business, the business that, you know, people still believed in Dusty Rhodes. You know, people still believed, even though they don't, you know, 
you know it's fake, but God damn it, when those legends came in the ring, you believe. And when a Zack Ryder or a, even Dolph Ziggler, who's freaking amazing in the ring, eh, yeah, he's taking great bumps, he's selling his ass off. But do you really care? You know, they're missing the angles that made these guys great. Look how Flair, you know, used to, you know, like, I mean, I don't know if you even remember this stuff, but when he broke Ricky Morton's nose, and you know, on the concrete, and then oh, Ricky yeah. wore the mask, and just, I mean, serious stuff. Not like some, okay, I'm going to put you through the announce table. I've only seen it 50 times. Or we're going to do some, you know, just that believability has gone. And it, it, it's going to be hard to get back. It's never going to get back. People will always come out for the spectacle. Um, and that's, you know, it's cool. But it's it's never going to, it's really impairing um, what the business is for everybody else. They'll be fine. They'll always be fine. Uh, I think uh, our industry as a whole is dying, is dying a real slow death. And I don't see it uh, getting better, especially after this weekend. You know, what I saw this weekend was uh, a lot of great kids. Uh, one of the kids I worked against, um, nice young gentleman, you know, 20-something years old, second match ever. You know, he, you know, he learned. He learned. He learned a good lesson. You know, I, I worked with him nice and called it out there and tried to teach him some shit. And um, it just. I, I just feel like it's a almost like wrestling school owners have their schools. And if you want to work on the show, you got to sell X amount of tickets to your family, friends, or whatever. Like, that's pretty much all it is. It's not even, you're not even drawing real fans. You're like, it's just a warped. I, I don't know if you understand what I'm even talking about, but that's like what it happens a lot where there's promotions where, you know, you got to come to my school and, you know, we're having a show on the 19th and you've got to sell 25 tickets if you want to be on the show. Kind of almost like Girl Scout cookies, you know? Yep. yep. And instead of, hey, I'm trying to draw money. I'm trying to promote this cat. I think this guy's got ability. It's a, it's, you got guys who are, the guys, the one guy I wrestled against, I don't even know his name, so I'm not even going to bury him. But he was so bad, so fat, and I'm fat too, dude. I'm huge right now, but that's I digress. But I mean, he was just, I mean, like repulsive, and he was horrific. But he, you know, he had a ton of fans in the crowd, which were probably all his family and friends that he sold tickets to to be on that show and work against. Just incredible. That's what they do. Tito Santana was also on that show. Al Snow was also on that show. And it's the same thing. It's like, well, if you want to work with Al Snow, you shit, sell me fifty tickets. You know, but how do you but how is that really promoting the business? You know, right. you 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 got guys who are not qualified. Um and certainly are not anywhere near that you know what I mean it's just not they're not doing it for the betterment of the business they're doing it for themselves they all just they all want their mark out moment they play see they play wrestling 
indie wrestling is like pretend wrestling. It's really no more than backyard wrestling. See, back in the old days when there were territories, they used to call indie wrestling. Um, God, what was it called? Outlaw. I, I, I don't know what it was. I forget the name. God damn it, it's slipping me. But basically, you would get if you worked outlaw shows. Yeah. Called outlaw shows. Yes. And if you worked those shows, you weren't working the territory again. Because you were taking, you know, money from, you know, whoever in Kansas City or, you know, Crockett in North Carolina or Vernon up in Minneapolis or whatever, you know, in the territories. You didn't do outlaw shows. And that's all these are, are indie backyard outlaw shows. And what else, but what else are we going to do? Why are we on them? Because we need to, that's why I retired. I need a real career. There's no career here. I got to make a move. I got to go back to school. I got to figure out my life. You know, I need money <laughs> to, to, to sustain my family, my wife's medical conditions, you know, my children, myself, our future. Johnny, I mean, Johnny knows me. You know, I met him a long, long time ago and he was working at a local pharmacy that, in Kingsburg, right, John? Yep, yep. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was probably, <laughs> and, uh, you know, 13, Kingsburg Pharmacy. Yeah. Yep. You yep. know, and that's when I had a huge, uh, you know, opiate addiction. You know, I was going to some quack doctor uh, in Kingsburg who eventually got busted anyways. But uh, I was going, you know, I was, uh, I was I was a mess, you know, because they were running. Also, they were running you so hard. You don't, man, I never forget when I was a clean kid. I was Aldo. I was in the middle of a 30-day straight tour in Germany. We literally hit every single damn town, wrestled every night for 30 days on a bus. You know, and there were no flights or, you know, we flew there, obviously, but we did Berlin, Ham- I mean, every little town from Berlin to Hamburg to anywhere in Germany. And I remember on that 30th day, I was the opening match, and I was so tired. And like, although your music's playing, I'm like, just let's give me two, like you know go like now. I'm like give me two seconds now. Like I I almost couldn't like I wasn't on anything. I was you know just coffee, soda, water, whatever. And I literally the only way I could kind of even get up was dunk my fucking head into the ice bucket that they had the drinks in, put you know flip the fucking mask on and kind of just go. And that's how exhausting it was. And that's how hard we worked back then. It wasn't this, uh, Ross, Matt down, you know, Friday show. It was every night. And sometimes twice on Sundays, dude. You know, sometimes you do, you know, uh, a matinee in Providence and then do the garden at night, you know. Hmm. It takes a lot out of you. You know, the human body, as fake as wrestling is, it's not as fake as people think because, you know, I might not be kicking you real or punching you real, but those bumps, especially now, they hurt. You know, those moves these kids are taking, they hurt. You you, you sprain your neck wrong. It's not like you can call out or go home, you know, because guess what? There's 50 other motherfuckers come right up and just sweep that job from under you. So what do you do? What do you do? You take what you got to take. Yep. You know, I've, dude, I've had cuts on my head where literally I've been crazy glued instead of going and get stitches. 
you know. I was wrestling. I was wrestling with Raven. I split my back of my head open, and I'm like, "Fuck! I don't have health insurance because WWE didn't provide health insurance." What do you do? Sabu comes over. Ah, I got some crazy glue. Don't worry about it. Boom! There you go, buddy. Done. <laughs> still got, still got the scar to this day. You know, <laughs> that's what you did, man. It was, it was, it was a very predatorial, territorial, alpha male environment. Now it's just. A Wow, I'm gonna get killed for saying this. It's a pussy show, dude. Nobody could hang with the old school cats like we used to. They don't. They could all do all the fancy little bumps and that. Do 30 days. Go to Japan for 30. days. I worked all Japan for 30 days straight. Go work all Japan for 30 days and come back and talk to me. Getting kicked <laughs> in the face for real. You know, do all the high spots you want, kid. But we were making money too, though. At the same time. You know, I was getting paid. I was making well over six figures. You know, making three grand a week, four grand a week ain't a bad deal. So, you know, you did what you had to do. I was blessed. But that's the thing is Vince makes you feel blessed for having that spot. You know, you're almost like, thank you, sir, may I have another. You know, because there's a million other cats that will. And I don't blame them. I mean, that's our dream. We're all a bunch of... Anybody that's in this business is either a mark or they're gifted physically and athletically enough that, you know, like a Rock or a Brock Lesnar who, or, or Kevin Nash, for example, we're just so, you know, there's so money that it's, you know, it's hard to ignore. But for the little, little guy who's got to fight his way up, you know, like an Owen Hart, God rest his soul, you know. He worked for years to get a spot, man, for years. And even when I was there, he was finally breaking through with the King of Hearts thing when he turned heel, you know, right after he did Blazer, before he passed, you know, before that whole thing happened. But, you know, when he was still the Blue Blazer, he was a giant John guy. You know, he worked, you know, he had to work really hard back then, and he's amazing. Yeah, so... Anyways, that's my soapbox. I'm getting off it. Let's talk about this weekend. <laughs> I, could, hey, uh, I could complain all day. I can go in a million different directions. But, you know, I, like you said, I want to talk about this weekend. 416 at the ECW Arena. You're all stomping around big time autograph signing and collector's fest. And obviously being put on it and kind of headlined a little bit by uh, an old buddy of yours, a guy that you wrestled in a retirement yes. match, and that's yep. Tommy Dreamer. So talk a little bit about going back to the ECW arena and then talk a little bit about your old nemesis, Mr. Psychology himself, Tommy Dreamer. Oh, man, you know, that place was just, you know, and it, 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 they actually they cleaned it up a lot. Uh, it's much uh, cleaner and more modern actually a real venue now but they did it a disjustice because back then we literally would have I mean it was literally a bingo hall and we literally had to like we made um, balconies and bleachers to fit the people I mean and, and Paul was a genius with that because even sometimes when business was a little slow usually it was sold out um, started very modestly, but uh, at, at points we were putting in 2,500 to 3,000 people there on those bleachers, and they were like, I mean, that was like a fire hazard and a half. 
But sometimes Paul was smart. He worked in the nightclub business back in the in the eighties. Even if it wasn't sold out, there were ten or twelve people left in the line, and there was plenty of room. He wouldn't let them. Yep, sold out. Sorry, guys. Hmm. Why you do that? Oh shit, we're missing something, man. And something's going on in there. You know, let's like uh, let's get them in advance next. You, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, uh, keeping it, even if it's not hot, you're making it look hot. You know, there were times where we literally had to pack them in like a, like in a tuna can, but there were times where it wasn't so hot. But Paul would still leave, you know, twenty twenty people outside and say, "Nope, you're sold out," and there are plenty of seats open. But he did it for the aura of. We'd better get to the arena early. That's why we did. We'd show up at four o'clock. Show started at eight, and there would be a line around that goddamn shithole of a neighborhood in <laughs> South Philadelphia, and it was a bad area. You know, I mean, and people, it was almost like tailgating. You know, they had lawn chairs, case of beer. People would be grilling. It was really an amazing and odd wonderfully odd amazing atmosphere and man when those lights came on those fans the fans became part of it they were the show like they were so hot that like almost like they're the stars you know remember the hat guy the other guy with the hawaiian shirt i mean really we're talking about these guys and their fans they never did anything they were nothing but loyal fans, and we still remember them. It was just a, an amazing time because the business needed to change. Um, there was the, you know, I I left. I never got fired from WWE in my first run either. I had a year left on my contract. The way I got out of that was I went to Stanford, had a meeting with Vince and Pat, and Bruce Pritchard was in the office at the time, and I basically basically said, look. Because I felt professionally, I was really coming into my own as a worker. I was having great matches every night um, for what I was given, if you understand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, look, man, I want either a push or a change or something different. Um, that's when the Memphis deal down. He wanted me to learn how to work as a heel. It he buried me basically for being brazen and kind of come to him like I want out because at the time Scott and Kev left and they had strokes so they're like we'll get you a deal you know you, you can't not that they would even want to use me as Aldo I would of course I wouldn't even want to do that but just don't you know, get you paid dude <laughs> you know cause they were giving out contracts left and right back then if you remember and oh, yeah. um, you know uh, I said you know. I just want out and he wouldn't let me go to go to WCW because he said it would look bad that all his guys are leaving. Not that Aldo mattered, but it wouldn't matter if all his, if his guy is leaving. So he said, I'll let you go to ECW. And the whole time and a lot of this stuff is unknown, but, uh, you know, Paul was pretty much getting paid by Vince anyways. So pretty much it was NXT. ECW was 
NXT without being under his umbrella. It's a little more complicated than that, but there were loans made, and a lot of time there were, you know, half-million-dollar checks written and other mafia stuff happening Hmm. and loan sharking. Um, My wife uh, worked in ECW. One of our biggest shows was in Chicago, 1999, Anarchy Rules. I believe the attendance was close to 6,000. I worked at Sabu that night on pay-per-view, and we had made a record amount of merchandise. And she had an envelope for $50,000, and a gentleman by the name of Steve Carroll, who I think still might be involved in the business, came by, and Dreamer was my wife's boss. Dreamer ran a lot of ECW. He was my wife's boss, and he said, just give Steve whatever he wants. And, you know... 50 grand right there, boom. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, because there's loan sharking, because you have to have, at the time, with pay-per-view, you had to have a certain amount of money up front to just get on. And then you'd have to wait months to get paid on, you know, the subscription, whatever, the buys. Mm -hmm. You know, by the time, yeah, so it was just a lot of shadiness, a lot of, but anyways, I'm just going off the rails here. But it was just, it was great. It's going to be great, dude. Uh, it was just special. Philly made, uh, brought back wrestling because fans were just sick. Of, I went off the rails, sorry. Fans got sick of WCW's garbage. At the time, WCW sucked. Um, WWE was obviously Aldo, Mantar, Adam Bomb. Um, you know, I can go on and on of the shitstorm of guys that were, Horrible, not horrible workers, just horrible gimmicks. And uh, I think fans were just craving for the Attitude Era. You know, real wrestling again. And really, that's where Vince got the deal, is what we were doing. You know, and um, that really, you know, and I think he really, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's special. It's going to be, this weekend's going to be amazing just to be back in that building. And it'll probably be the last time I'll be in that building. And I hope, hopefully I'm wrong. It's changed a lot. It's a lot nicer, but I prefer the old arena. <laughs> it's too clean now, <laughs> you know. But uh, it's going to be great. The fans there are amazing. I know a lot of the fans have changed as well, you know. But a lot of these young kids, uh, we have the privilege of the network who fans are finding us for the first time too. You know, and there's a reason why we're predominantly featured on that network. A, because of course he owns all the footage and he bought it for a crisp million dollars in court, bankruptcy court, which is, you know, goddamn, if I had a million dollars, that would have been a hell of a steal, you know, because mm. still to this day, all these years later, that name, that library, Still means a lot, man. Everywhere, you know, I'm still, I'm. St- it's amazing that people still know because I haven't been on t- national television. Well, I was on TNA stuff, you know, five six years ago, but that to me don't, I don't know, probably nobody saw it. But hmm. you know, the last time I was in WWE was 2006 slash maybe January 2007. I don't remember exactly. But that's a long time ago, man. It's almost that's nine years, but they still remember me. And to me, it's like so cool because I wasn't, you know, I'm not RVD and I'm not, you know, 
whatever. I'm just incredible. But it's amazing the respect that they have for those couple of years. That are, those, those years will be frozen in time forever. And we made, I think about it, we made that arena. That wasn't an arena. That was, a, that was literally a crack house pretty much where people <laughs> played bingo at. It was so dirty. It was so nasty. And now it's an arena. Like, it's, like, really nicely done, you know. And we did that, you know. It's called the EC. I mean, they don't call it the ECW Arena, but it's still it's still the ECW Arena. And and that only happened in a very short time. And I think we did some real special stuff. And I think this weekend um, is going to be really special. And I, and I hope everybody out there listening Come out and just say hi, man. Come see us, shake our hands. I mean, I, I I love to talk to the fans and to meet the fans and to really engage with them because they're part of my life. You know, they're the those are some of the best times creatively that I a lot of us have ever had. You know, in the business. Period. You know, a lot of historical stuff with historical guys happened. You know, Terry Funk, Dusty Rose has been there. I mean. Sh- I mean, you, you name it. You know, so many guys have, you know, Arn Anderson's been there. Polly Blanchard, Eddie Guerrero, you know, Dean Malenko, Benoit. I mean, so many, Jericho, so many guys have come through that arena. You know, that I think it's uh, it's going to be a really, really nice time. I'm really looking forward to it. And I and I hope we do well. Um, and, I, and I just hope the fans enjoy it. And I, you know, and I'll certainly do my part. Because I'm excited. I'm excited to meet the fans again and see them again. And hopefully, you know, they come out, you know. Absolutely. And obviously, you know, you're going to be there with, uh, you know, another former ECW world champion in your buddy, the franchise. The man. The man. (laughs) So what was it like winning the ECW title? You know, when Heyman christened you, you know, the man in ECW. Oh. Uh, First of all, I didn't find out until halfway during the show. Hey, um, and it was a very controversial time, um, if you remember, because Mike Awesome had left uh, to WCW. He was on a handshake deal with Paul, and he had the title, and then he signed. So obviously, we have a huge problem there. So Vince, being uh, you know obviously in cahoots with Paul, lent us Taz. So, you know, at a house show in uh, India, I'm, I'm completely sure about this because I remember it like it was yesterday, at a house show in Indianapolis, Indiana, Taz beat Mike Awesome. And it was so funny too, dude, because they literally had Doug Dillinger, head of security for WCW, with Mike Awesome, like we're going to beat him off or something. Because they thought we were like, like, like that whole XPW thing was a shoot. Like everybody thought like we were like these fucking thugs. You know, like, it's like, dude, it's a work. You know, like, everybody, it was ridiculous. And so they had uh, Doug Dillinger. Mike Awesome didn't leave the hotel room the entire time. He came dressed to the building. Nobody saw him. Music, you know, they fought, they had the finish, talked it over the phone. Music hit. He kind of popped up somehow, came through the door. No big deal. No, no drama. No stiffing or kid, no. Taz won, whatever, tapped out. Taz is the champion, but Taz is WWE. You know, he's a WWE guy now. So, 
Uh, next week, it's Dreamer and Taz. And I didn't know this until literally uh, intermission. You know, and back then, um, you know, we didn't do pictures. You know, we didn't. It was kind of, we were trying to be big leagues. We didn't do, like, the intermission shit where we were out there signing gimmicks. Like, you know, we had, I had my T-shirts out there, company T-shirts. If you bought one, you bought one. If You, you know, I had a, a one-way deal where I had guaranteed money. So it didn't matter. Like, if I, you know, it was all going to Paul. And it was a, it was a nice deal. For two days a week, I got paid three grand every week, whether I worked or not. Hmm. I mean, it's not a ton of money, but three grand a week. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that today. And I'm sure a lot of WWE guys work a lot harder for that money, and a lot of them don't get it, believe it or not. You got to be on the road to make that money because the TVs, you don't make that money. TVs, you get like a couple hundred dollars, first of all. People are very confused about the pay system. Things have changed a little bit since my time, but, you know, very few guys have the big money deals because Vince doesn't need to pay anybody the big money deals because where are you going to go? Unless you're John Cena or, you know, certain guys who obviously are the breadwinners. But uh, other than that, if you're, you know, a, a Dolph Ziggler or a Zack Ryder, you're getting what I want you to get, you know? So, uh, but anyways, uh, you know, so uh, Taz uh, beats Mike Awesome. I find out halfway during the show that I'm winning the title because after Dreamer wins, I come out impromptu, kick him in the stomach, tombstone him one, two, three in like eight seconds. And it meant, obviously, it's a work. Um, The business is, you know, titles never meant anything to me. But to be world heavyweight champion um, in the third promotion, and at the time it was hot as hell, even though financially we were struggling, we were drawing, uh, I mean, three, 4,000 people nightly. We'd have a bad night in small towns for, you know, five, 600 people, but we were still drawing. I remember one of the last shows we still did was Toronto the first time we went up to Canada. We did 6,000 people. Those are pretty great numbers, you know, for a, a number three promotion. And I just felt, um, you know, I had the title for a little under I was five months, maybe six tops. But it showed me that Paul Heyman had enough trust, respect for me to be a headliner for him to earn money for him to main. I've main evented a a guy, uh, a friend of mine who works with Shane, Chris Hughes. He made a tape of all of my pay-per-view and main event matches. And I, like I looked at it it's like a double disc. I'm like, I didn't realize I had that many main events on pay-per-view. It's amazing. You know, it's like, you really trusted me. And that's what that meant to me. It wasn't that, oh, I'm a champion. It was, you trust me to close every show. And I'm closing also, again, you know, in ECW, first match you're getting tables and chairs. (laughs) So to close it is hard. You know what I mean? It's hard. And you really had to bring your A game. And I brought my A game, whether it was in front of 3,000 
or 300. And Gabe Sapolsky went on record. Uh, I don't know what he does now. I think he does evolve or whatever bullshit he used to be. Ring of Honor with and Feinstein owned it. But Gabe went on record because he worked close with Rob that I had to, on a daily basis, as far as like, you know, just house shows, the string of my run, as far as quality of matches, was the best of any ECW champion he saw. And he was there for all of it. Now, he didn't mean, you know, I was the best champion or anything like that, but on a nightly basis, the effort, like that was my HBK. He was like, I'm a mark for Sean. Sean's a friend of mine. I was always a mark for Sean. And I wanted, like, that was my, that's my HPK moment. So every night was balls out as hard as I can work, taking crazy bumps, working as hard as I can every single night. And I loved it. And I earned it. And that's why today I'm proud of, of, of going back there and of embrace. And that's why I still embrace it. Like, you know, Paulie's like, oh, you know, I look to the, you know, I don't like to look to the past, look to the future, but, you know, what's in the past is in the past. Yeah, don't, you know what? Good for you. You're full of shit. ECW is your legacy. It'll always be your legacy. And, and you, you don't walk away from that. I, I, I get it. You don't, you're still, yeah, because you're still fucking working. You know, if you weren't working, what else would you have? You'd use your legacy that you created. And, you know, it was a beautiful time, man. And you know what? I earned every fucking penny in blood, sweat, and tears. And I earned every fucking applause. And, you know, I worked as hard as I could for every fan. And that's why I still think I get respect. And that's why I still think that I'm relevant to some degree. Not as much as I'd like to be because wrestling's changed so much. But uh, at 42, man, you know what? I'm proud to be where I am. And Shane Douglas, you know, he did the same thing. He, you know, when he dropped that belt in the trash, man, you know, and that's corny kind of now, you know, because the NWA don't mean anything. But back then it still meant a little something. And uh, that just started that shoot era, you know, that era of say it how it is, man, you know, and Shane is one of the best to this day at it. Shane can, you know how Shane is. He'll talk. He'll talk. He'll talk. And, 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 but in a good way. And he makes a lot of sense, man. I will, you know, and he started it for us. You know, without Shane Douglas, there'd be no Just Incredible. That's for sure. And there'd be no ECW. That's for sure. So I can't wait, man. It's going to be kick ass. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And obviously, you know, there's going to be a lot of other ECW legends in the building that day as well. You can't help but think. Obviously, we you know we mentioned uh, a guy like Tommy Dreamer, who you know you feud with, but you mentioned the Anarchy Rules '99 and Sabu. You know what yeah. are your thoughts on uh, on Sabu? Because definitely one oh. of those underrated guys. Like if people kind of you know fly under the radar. Man, uh, me and Pac, uh, Sean Waltman, we're still very close. Uh, I saw him recently. Actually, John knows uh, at the PNC Arts Bank Center. Uh, the pumpkins played and uh, Pac came up because he lives in Philly now. So, of course, you know, Billy's a, a fan and a friend. And I, used to, I think he still works for TNA for Christ's sake. So we went, you know, backstage talking to Billy. And 
enjoying the show and it's super cool, dude, when there's 17,000 fans out there and you're like on the stage watching. That's mm. a cool moment. And I'm a music mark. That's why I'm saying it. <laughs> and Manson was cool too. But anyways, I digress. Um, but Sean says it. Uh, best Waltman is Sabu should be a multi multi millionaire. Hmm. He innovated the business at a time like even before ECW, the stuff he was doing in Japan and and worldwide and what he did in ECW and the stuff he did, you know. I mean, he is. I have so much respect for him, and he's such. Uh, at one point, uh, not with me, well, I'll tell you a quick story. He was very, very selfish because that's how he was taught. And that's how it was back in those days. You had to protect your character because if you don't, you know, you go out there and you job to anybody, you're a jobber. So, okay, you know, that's what you're, you got to kind of, he fought, you know, he wouldn't do a job for anybody. In those days, I literally had to put Sabu, and I'm saying this in a good way, not in a bad way. I had to put Sabu over every single night, last match, main event, in 99, for six months all across the country for him to do that one job (laughs) for me at Anarchy Rules and pay-per-view in 99 in Chicago. But, you know... He was, he, that's it. Was, I mean, totally cool by me. It didn't hurt me. I was the heel, anyways. But uh, you know, God, what a, what a, what a truly like he's so ahead of his time. You know, he may not have been the smoothest. Um, you know, this. You know, nowadays you, you see guys do all this like crazy, amazing shit. But he just, he had this reality. Like at first, like I was nervous. You know, like, you get in the ring with him. He's a little guy. I mean, I, I'm, like, so much bigger than Sabu, especially now. You know, but I got at least, you know, six inches on him in height and at least 70 pounds on him in weight. And he's still, you know, that you see that scarred-up body. And they're I mean, you know, all through his waist, his arms, his face, his back. And you see that look, you know, when he comes out, it's like, how do you not like, wow, like you're almost, you're almost in awe. Because when he turns it on, he could be one of the greatest in the world, you know. And I just, uh, I think he's very underrated. And I think he's, uh, he, he should be one of the guys that should, he should have a lot more credit than he does because at the time, he did stuff that nobody else was doing, you know, and I think the business owes him more. Unfortunately, the business doesn't owe anybody anything, but he's one of the guys that I wish, you know, was pizzade, if you know what I'm saying, you yeah. know, so, but he's awesome. I love Sabu. Definitely kind of uh, an underrated legend for sure. But if I could just, uh, you know, wind it down a bit here. And I got to mention this because, you know, they had a click DVD that came out last year. And I know that a lot of people may may not know this, but obviously I know this. 
kind of the forgotten member of the clique. Can you just talk about a little bit those days of the clique with, you know, Xbox? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, and all of that. Yeah, no. it was always, Scott said it the other day on, on Twitter, and it was funny because it's so true. It's like, he was part of the, he's like, he's like the fifth Beatle. He got all the heat, but none of the rub. Like none of the, you know, like I had heat, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally, you know, and, and how it started was very simple. Um, I came in so young uh, under contract that, especially in those days, we're talking midnight, like early, like 93, 94, no, 94, August 94 is when I signed. Um, I was so young, I couldn't even rent a car. I mean, I had credit, you know, I had a credit, you know, it wasn't a credit or anything. I, I could not legally rent a car. I was not old enough. So uh, the first house show, I had to drive with Tony Gurria, Rene Goulet, and Chief J. Strongbow, who were the agents. And, you know, and that kind of looks like your stooge in a way. You know what I mean? I didn't know mm-hmm. anybody. I, you know, I didn't have anybody numbers. I was just young kids, scared to death. <laughs> you know, just uh, you know, here's your airline ticket, kid. Get to the town. You know, that's what people don't get, man. You think like everybody thinks it's so coordinated. You'd get your airline tickets and a sheet, and that sheet had your bookings, and all that was on that sheet was the address of the building, and there was no GPS. You had to use maps and atlases. <laughs> You know, so anyways, I got to the building and Scott and I had had known each other, but not big friends. And he goes, who are you traveling with, kid? Um, I said, well, I'm, you know, I can't rent a car, so I'm with uh, Tony Gurria and uh, Chief and uh, Renee. He goes, fuck that. Because you're coming with me, puss. And that was it. <laughs> That's That was really it, you know, and then... You know, if I was driving with, you know, I was always with Scott. I was, he was like my big brother, you know. And, oh, and, you know, Kev's with us. Oh, kid's with us, you know. Sean's with us. But, but and it's funny, at the, at the in the beginning, I hated kid. We didn't get along at all because we were very, you know, almost like the two young guys. If you understand what I'm saying, like, yep. uh, you know, the two young guys in the company and he's like, you know, who's going to be that alpha dog, uh, you know, and we didn't like each other at all. And it's amazing. And when we did X Factor and t- till this day, we are, I talk to him once a week, at least. I love him. He's like one of my best friends and I hold him very dear to my heart. But it's funny how we didn't like each other in the beginning, but that's how the old click thing started. And I never got recognized because I didn't, I wasn't getting pushed either. You know, it was kind of a backdrop and it's not like I'm out there, the boys knew, but it's like, what are you, you know, what am I out there saying? Oh, I'm part of the clerk, you know? And then I did a very smart thing too, because I was at the garden that night when Scott and Kev left and Paul went out. And Sean went out, but Sean was on top, so Sean wasn't getting any heat. Paul was supposed to win King of the Ring that year, and for that little stunt, he didn't, you know. And if I'd have gone out, because I was thinking about, you know, come out, come out, I would have been, if Paul fucking didn't get King of the Ring for that, I would have been fired. So I had to know my role. 
you know. So I don't, I don't, you know what? If you think I'm quick, I'm quick. You know, ask the boys. They'll tell. You know, it's all I could say. I don't want to brag about it because that's not something. I don't brag about friendships. You know, they were my friends. And, you know, I just probably wasn't as high on the cards. So I wasn't as you know. I flew under the radar a little bit, but you know, it is what it is. I still have, you know, I still have those relationships. Scott, Scott and I are as tight as ever. Kid and I are as tight as ever. Those are my tightest ones. Uh, hell, when I was a tag team champion in '99, and Sean retired, had his when he first retired, he had his wrestling school in San Antonio. I went down there and stayed at his house for a week. And uh, in, in his camp at the time was a young guy named Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson actually was his name, you know, and he was down there training and I, I went in there to try to help him, you know, with the school and, and kind of work one of his TV shows. And then I did him another solid because he asked me for more ECW guys because it was helping his product, his local little product out. He had a little TV show in San Antonio. I got Hack Sandman to go down there for free, and Sandman even paid his own way, like with uh, frequent flyer miles. So, like you know, Nick, I stayed at Sean and Rebecca's, you know, slept on you know in the spare bedroom, and you know when he had his first kid, and then my wife was having her first kid. You know, Sean would call and talk to my wife, be like. I just ordered this crib online. Um, does it have the thing with the thing? And do you know this about this? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it is what it is. And unfortunately, time and life separates people, you know. And, you know, it's like, you know, you know, you could chat once in a while, but what do you really say, you know? Scott, Scott's more, Scott's more my big brother, and so is Kid, you know. And Sean's, Sean's always about Sean. You know, and, and he was very good to me, but he was really, he was more about doing business. And, and Sean changed his life around too. He really found God, and he got sober. And I, I, at the time, I wasn't. So I think that kind of not severed the relationship, just made it weird. Er, you know. So that was that. You know, um, if I saw Sean today, hell, we'd give each other a big hug and talk and sit down and, you know, it'd be like old times. But, you know, back then things were starting to change, you know, and in a good way, you know, because back in the 90s, man, it was, how uh, how should I say it, how rock and roll, how like rock music was like, you know, L.A. Sunset Strip in the 80s. That's how wrestling was in the 90s. It was sex, drugs, rock and roll, like all the time. Like, you know, you'd go to Kurt Henning, what do you got? He'd open up his pouch, because remember back then, everybody had the pouches? <laughs> Fanny packs? <laughs> you know, he'd give you something, then you'd go to Davy Boy. Davy, what do you got? What do you need, man? <laughs> you know? And then Davy would always, do, you know, and then when I'd get pissed at Davy, this is a classic Davy line. I'd get mad at something, you know, and I'd be talking shit about one of the boys or somebody. And he he would do like the, you know what, PJ? You're going to do two things. So what's that, Davey? You're going to do nothing and like it. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm absolutely right. And he was. I wasn't going to do a damn thing about it. But, yeah, it's just fun times, man. But that's the thing is those boys are not the – that's the thing is we're not the boys anymore. The old school guys are the boys. But these young kids, they just don't have that camaraderie. They don't have that chemistry, you know. And I'm a gamer myself, dude. I love Xbox. Like, that's my shit, you know. But, like, kids today will bring, you know, we would be in the hotel. Like, we'd be out there. You know where – Scott said it best. You would do business at the bar. Talking to your opponent or to whoever you want to do business with. Having a drink. Sharing your... You know, that's how you kind of come up with things. You're in the car. You're talking business. Hey, what if we did this? Or let's go to Vince and tell him that. You know, these kids today, they're all in their hotel rooms, shacked up. I think you get heat these days if you go out and party. You know? But then, that's how you did business, man. You went to the bar, you had a fucking couple cold ones, and you talk. And if you cared about the business, you were talking business. And you're usually talking business to the guy you wanted to work with about, you know, how, you know, how could we present this or make it better? Or how could, you know, if we did it shitty tonight, how could we do it better tomorrow night? You know, that's how you do business back then. I think that's sorely missed, you know, but times have changed, you know? Yeah. So, well, I, I've just given you guys, I've just given you guys a shitload of information. No, and that's, I'll tell you what, though, but, I mean, if that's not <laughs> argument number one, you know, with either anybody we talk to or just John and I, you know, riffing back and forth with each other, I mean, that's what we kind of still wish, you know, was around, because that's what we grit our teeth on as fans and trying to learn everything we could and sure. watching you guys, and, you know, it was, it was, it was a, a lesson from the viewer watching the guys perfect what they did, but... You touched on Shawn Michaels, and he's obviously also going to be at this uh, this huge event this coming weekend. So uh, hopefully a reunion of sorts. But another infamous story that involves Shawn Michaels that you were a part of was the infamous backstage fight with Bret Hart in 1997. That was really the straw that broke the camel's back, leading to a lot of the stuff that would finish out right. the year in what would be the most tumultuous year for, uh, I would say, WWF backstage uh, stories around that time, but what are some of your memories looking back at that? I mean, because that was like the threat, you know, the was, threat of Sean going to WCW, it was uh, absolutely crazy. Bro, it was real, and the pressure was on. I remember one time, it was just me and Sean, and he had the, I think he did, I think he, he was getting the belt or didn't have it yet, I'm not sure, but it was around that time, and we were in Montreal. And we literally, um, I know you guys don't know Montreal very well logistically, but I'll tell you the airport was kind of far away from the downtown arena. And I was driving and he literally was so like revved up. I made one wrong turn. He literally screamed at the top of his lungs, pulled the fucking car over right now. And he literally like opened the door to the town because we always cars we had to have Lincoln Town cars <laughs> pulled me out and fucking you know took over like fuck you know it was it was heavy duty tension and that's what Scott means by that like I got all the heat but I got none of the reward <laughs> you know I was there for all of it 
and I was also there too when when uh, Sean did win the title. He did have a very serious addiction to pills. I shouldn't be saying this; it's not my right. But you know, he literally would have. Uh, oh God, what was Timmy's the referee? Tim Timmy White and Arnold Scoland, and it would be me and Sean. And I was the guy that had to make sure Sean got to the room. I'm on the phone doing an interview. Thank you. Wow. Sorry, guys. Um, but uh, literally, you know, that was what I had to do. You know, it gotten hairy. It was uh, tensions were high. Stress was high. Business was bad. WCW was eating everything up. I was ready to leave, too. You know, and I felt they weren't, you know, they, everybody, everybody talks like, you know, everybody's your boy until it comes time to do you a favor. And, you know, just nobody, nobody ever did me any favors, man. You know, the only favors I ever got was, was from Kevin Scott to go to WCW and, and let me go. You know, and if I did, my life would be a lot different because at least I would have got a couple of good years of, of some easy money and probably better money than I've ever made because they were just throwing out money at the back then. But I got to get going, gentlemen. Um, my wife is in need of me at this moment, and my kids, it's, I'm in daddy mode, so. Wow. But uh, I can't, I can't wait for this weekend, man. I, I'm super stoked. I'm, I'm just happy that you guys have me. Uh, I know Shane's going to be there. I know Kevin Thorman, I believe, is also going to be there with us as well. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. He's cool. He's a cool dude. Him and I also are very good friends. We go back a long ways. So um, I, I, I'm stoked, man, and I'm really happy you guys, have, you know, had me and let me kind of, you know, I don't talk wrestling all that much anymore. Because um, sometimes it hurts, so it's it's a good feeling. Sometimes you get it out, you know. And uh, I don't. Know. I'm just I'm just happy to be part of this weekend uh, at the old arena. You know, this Saturday it's going to be killer, man. I hope I hope everybody comes out and checks us out. You know, I know I know Shane's amazing with the fans. I know Kevin is too, and I'm pretty cool. And I think you guys could attest for that. So we'll have, have a great yeah, time we, uh... on Saturday. We appreciate you coming on tonight. Can't wait to see you this weekend. Always, like I said, you're you're one of our favorites of all time. And uh, oh, I just appreciate share with it, us man. before you go. Just give a you know where uh, where the listeners can uh, can find you if they haven't found you already on on uh, the social. Oh, media. absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I have a Facebook account, um, Real Just Incredible, but I really don't use it that much. I'm more of a Twitter guy, um, at PJ Polacco. And of course, my website uh, www.thejustincredible.com, and of course, YouTube Pro Wrestling 101. Just hit, you know, go up on the search bar, put in Pro Wrestling 101. Over 50 awesome, well-produced, um, you know, instructional videos that are like this conversation, man. Like really touching on the business in a you know in a, in a very positive way. Um, so any young guy out there who's in the business or interested should really check that out. And it's funny, the gentleman that produced all that stuff with me now works for the WWE, ironically enough. So, uh, you know, it was a positive, uh, it was a positive thing. A lot of people have watched and hope more keep on watching some really good stuff. So 
Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.